Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening... Welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Tobias Wright. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Hey, that means you get to be one of our listeners who can have their say on air. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. Hey, we're also streaming live, wnur.org slash pop-up. Again, call us, 847 847- Eight six six nine six eight seven. All right, tonight it's potpourri on the OBS. We've got a listener's letter. We've got the home team. We've got two-minute drill. We've got Monday evening quarterback. Not necessarily in that order, I might add. It, it's all going to be jumbled up like a good potpourri. How about is. a minestrone? Yeah, you're making me hungry. Okay. It's Oliver yeah. Camacho. Hello, everybody. Minestrone. Yeah, or is there a sports version of a potpourri? Like we're all the guys, like from different teams, like hockey and baseball. The good-looking ones are in the, say, like, are in the locker room together, just like slapping each other with the towel, like you know, in the sauna. Uh, like the decathlon, maybe. <laughs> you totally missed what I was talking about, but it's okay. I so. didn't. Well, I'm I'm trying to get I'm trying to get Toby. Is Toby's mic not working? Toby's mic is not working okay. here. Um, it's not okay, Toby. Uh, we need you. We want you to live, Toby. Toby, right is everybody. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna share with you, George. You're gonna share sh- with Oliver. You go share yeah, with Oliver, nice. and we'll That'll try and make exactly. this. We'll That's try and make this. Work. My plan is working. Yes. We'll we'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, just re- super quick sports. <sighs> the Chicago Blackhawks, which were the number one seed mm. in the conference to head towards the Stanley Cup, are gone. Mm. Gone. Swept. Swept by the Nashville Predators. It's disappointing, and let me tell you why. Uh, look, the Red Wings, my team, were not even in the playoffs this year, which was also crazy. But hockey fans, there's nothing like hockey fans. Because there's so few of us, and I count myself among them, we are so invested in the game that when your team goes out, it's crushing. And if you, you look around this city as the Blackhawks were playing, everyone's got their jerseys on, their hats on, and man, just like they didn't just lose though, they, they got no. swept. They got swept. That got was bad. swept. Did you watch Meet the Press this Sunday? No, what, no. Okay. So Meet the Press, you know, Sunday morning news show. It's like the longest running show in history. Right. Um, Chuck Todd did this really cool, uh, like data and analytics thing, talking about uh, sports and what type of sport you watch based on what. Uh, what political views you hold and like some of the results are very obvious that like if you watch nascar 
you're more likely than not going to be from a rural area and you're going to be Republican. And if you watch basketball, you more often than not are going to be from an urban area and are going to be left-leaning. And the sport that really uh, is a great uh, metaphor, I guess is what I'm looking for, for all of America, the sport that um, really is the most even divided between progressive and, and uh, conservative is football. You know, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Because yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. It's kind of everywhere. But hockey also, it tur- as it turns out, I think is, is more liberal, I think. I guess that would make sense too. It's all it's the all Canadians. Based, it's, I was going to say it's all Canadian, <laughs> yeah. and they have their health care. So, okay. Now I'm so, I'm so sad. Now now Toby's going back to his chair. Well, it's it's time to talk I'm, some opera. I'm no longer in his lap anymore. And we're going to start so. with um. Yeah. We're going to start with Monday evening quarterback. So that Mike is opera class sports radio crass. This is opera box score with George Cedarquist. Oliver Camacho. Oh, yes, and Tobias. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback. Nice. Norm, thanks a lot, Norm. That was a great lead-in. I feel like we have a bunch of these Norm clips that we could just put in some different order now, and it's it's like infinity, you know? Like infinity combinations in of Norm. Infinite so, loop. Yeah. Hey, Tobias, check that mic again. Is it working? No. I had it working. Look, maybe uh, you can only snap in it. You can't talk into it. So, uh, Oliver, yeah. you saw *The Perfect American* by Philip Glass at Chicago I Opera Theater. Did yes. And for those who didn't catch our episode last week with Scott Ramsey, mm-hmm. can you just give us an overview of what the story is about? No, I can't. Um, anyway, Chicago Opera Theater is uh, doing their last performances uh, at the Harris Theater for Music and Dance. And they're moving to the Studebaker, uh, which is a newly renovated theater in um, the Fine Arts Building that is really old-timey. This is very distracting. Um, But anyway, they're doing right now, as their last show of this current season, Philip Glass's The Perfect American, um, which is about the final months of Walt Disney's life. I guess he had, like, lung cancer or something like that. and it's by Philip Glass, so I think we all sort of know what Philip Glass sounds like uh, these days, like what, what to expect mm-hmm. when going to Philip Glass opera. What do you mean, 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 <laughs> mean, mean, mean? I'm sorry. Um, a bad joke. What I have to say, about, first of all, about Chicago Opera Theater is that this was very successful for them. They had a huge turnout uh, at the Harris. The Harris seats about 1,500 people, and I don't think they've had a show that with as many people in attendance as... Uh, in, in the past couple of years, I think that they've been sort of audiences have been shrinking as they've been going to smaller venues, et cetera. What about this show got people to come? I, I mean, I, I think the mark maybe they got the WNUR bump. You know, maybe they got the opera box score bump. There you go. Us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think Philip Glass is such a recognizable composer, and uh, you know, I think the marketing has been good. Um, they have to. I have to. I have to tell you first that they gave the audience a really great experience in terms of how they set up the lobbies, because the Harris Theater, for those of you who've never been in Chicago, is sort of uh, kind of a blank canvas. Like, there's not a lot of art. It sort of feels industrial. It's not a very warm space, you know? And, like, I think the intention was to really put the focus uh, of the art on the stage and not really do too much outside of the stage. So it can feel a little bit bleak uh, when you're walking into the theater. But they really filled up the lobbies with, like, activity. They had, like, cartoonists, 
on the main floor so that you could Whoa. yeah so you can have your portrait taken they had like a pre-concert lecture they had like some vip lounges and it just generally there was like a really celebratory feeling and that feeling carried through to uh the opening of the show they had like this big curtain speech for andreas minasek at this last show uh, as the general director of cot and there was lots of love. I was really, hmm. I'm not saying surprised, but it was a little bit, it was surprising that he was getting a lot of affection from the audience. Like they were giving him a standing ovation and there hmm. was like this, yeah, it was. Would you expect otherwise? Um, yes, I would. I mean, like he's leaving mm -hmm. and it's not clear why he's leaving. And we didn't get a chance to ask him. Um, but uh, Is there any speculation? <laughs> no, I, I, I really... Give me the gossip. I don't, I really don't know the gossip. Uh, I mean, they're going to continue to bring him on as uh, either a conductor or a stage director for next season. And I, I mean, the new, you know, general director, um, you know, basically said that this is a, this, he's leaving on good terms. And, you know, there was only love, you know? Cool. So anyway, the show starts and um, it's complicated. I have to just say, like, it's one of these shows that, like, it's, it's really hard to follow. You got to pay attention. You have to, I think, have read the book or something, okay. you know. And the first act is really opaque as far as, like, what story is trying to be told. There's lots of, like, flashbacks. And what is the, the orchestration like? It's an orchestra. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but what am I hearing? You're hearing your classic Philip Glass, you know, arpeggios, repetitive, repetitive. Strings. Yeah. Um, Percussion, brass. Not, yeah, it's not a surprise. What it, the the okay. oral landscape is not a surprise. The soundscape, um, and there's no real like aria moment. It's just kind of like continuous, you know, and it doesn't. It's relentless on top of that. So I started to tune out a little bit in the first act because I could not. I could not follow. After the intermission, it got much better. So the second act was a little bit easier to begin to like follow the story. There were a little bit more lyrical moments, and it made me feel like, oh, I probably should see this again to figure out what happened in the first <laughs> act. Right, right. I'm not sure if it's a type of opera you can see more than once. Just I mean, I'm glad that I saw it. it take was, the experience and leave it? Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe, yeah, you'd have to know a lot about the history of... What was the set? Um, they bought a lot of, uh, I think this is in the program now, it's a bunch of like um, 60s era... Uh, hospital stuff like hospital like you know historical hospital it sounds like that would be expensive to buy yeah i mean well i mean it wasn't a gigantic set you know uh, here are some production photos i guess it's not really helpful for our radio audience but you can go on <laughs> chicagooperatheater.org yeah. is slash perfect american is where yeah. the i have to say is. that there was i mean the guy who sang walt disney uh the baritone justin ryan he, mm -hmm. he was amazing yeah. like he sounded fantastic and he sort of looked like like disney too so uh, he did a great job. Um, everybody, you know, the performances were all very good. Actually, Scott Ramsey was fantastic, our guest from last week. Uh, I can't, right. I can't complain at all about uh, the singing per se. It just, it just was a story that was really hard to follow. I, I feel like, and I've directed Philip Glass. I feel like as a singer, that music is very easy and very difficult at the same time. Hmm. It's very easy in that he tends to work with great librettists, and so the acting choices come naturally to the performer. It's easy to get inside the minds of these characters, but the music is difficult because, man, if you get off, I don't know how you would ever get back on the beat or how you would ever synchronize up again. I mean, obviously, the conductor is helping you with that, but if all the music sounds 
not exactly the same, but with these slight variations, I mean, you've just got to be listening so carefully. Yeah, well, hopefully you have lots of people on stage that know their part and know their cue and won't get thrown off by your mistakes. But I can't say that I would ever recognize somebody's mistake in a Philip Glass opera. Right. The chorus was fantastic. I have to say, Stephen Altop uh, is the chorus director, and he uh, directed his own chorus, the Apollo Chorus, and they were hired as the kind of pickup chorus for this. And they were, they sounded great. They, you couldn't see them, <laughs> but, but they were like behind a script. But they were, they sounded fantastic. So. Final thought. Huh. If you're going to go, I recommend you go because why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go Sunday. No, yeah, go and support Chicago Opera Theater because they're trying. I mean, I mean, what do we do but complain about how boring certain opera company seasons are and how conservative they are? So here's a company that's really trying to do something different, you know, and this was the Chicago premiere, a Midwest premiere. So I got handed to them for programming it, but maybe do a little bit more research than I did. Like I went completely like, I don't know what this is going to be. I didn't read the book. I didn't read, and I don't read the program. And I tend to not read the program. I'm just that type of person. I want the story to tell itself, you know, so. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. Let us know what you think of the show, if you've seen it, at Opera Box Score on Twitter. Coming back, it's going to be one of our listeners' letters. Stick around. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Opera Box Score. WNUR, George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho and Tobias Wright. Hey, go into the reader's mailbag here. I, this is so exciting. You too can have your letter read. On Opera Box Score, it, if you it makes this me one. It, well, <laughs> it makes me think of of those old Penthouse magazines. What? Go on, De- dear Penthouse letters. I was on a train in Sweden the other day when. <laughs> Did you read Penthouse, Oliver? Or was that not kind of your? Why would I read Penthouse? If anything, I'd read like it's great American literature, to- torso, or you know, Is that a swank thing? torso, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, or you know, freshman when I was younger. Oh you know? my lord! Yeah. Hey, Paul writes sausage links. And I appreciate the letter, Paul. He says, you make me think a lot about opera and art. I'll start with this thought. Are there works or composers you will not perform for personal reasons? For example, I believe some people will not perform Wagner. Tobias Wright, thinking over your career to date so far, has there been a show that gave you pause for thought as a performer? You know, I'm pretty young and new to, I guess singing relatively speaking but i've done quite a i've done a number of shows none that i have objected to thus far um and i don't know that personally i have any composers or shows that i would absolutely not do but there are certain things there are boundaries that i definitely would not feel comfortable crossing um you know i was a part of uh, a production of aida and of course you know you have the the ethiopian slaves and if you're from Ethiopia and you're a slave, odds are you're probably black. Right. And not everyone that we had in the show was black. And yeah. so, that, you know, you get into certain areas, I and I think like that, that to me feels uncomfortable singing Otello someday, hopefully, God willing, whatever, um, in Verdi's Otello. Mm-hmm. Not Rossini's, I can't do that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too high! <laughs> you're saying you wouldn't sing Otello? No, I absolutely would, but there's, uh, he's, you know, yeah. he's black. And yeah. and that, to me, I don't know that I ever want to be in a position where I have to... I, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't know today. Yeah. If Toby Wright today was, you know, somebody said, we're going to paint you black and put you on stage, I don't know how comfortable I would feel with that. Well, that's that's sort of going away. like that. that no, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's why, of course, I, 
I'm more hesitant now. I'm like, ah, there are ways to address this. Yeah. Um, so no, that's not a. I guess that's not a personal avoidance of something, say like Wagner for anti-Semitism or, or or what have you. But I don't know. I, at this point, I'm poor enough. I'll do anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you're not gonna find you're not gonna find somebody, you know, our generation or your generation, um, a singer who is gonna turn work down. You yeah. know, and. It's. I mean, some people will get cast above their fock, and they should learn to say no for that reason, uh, you know, so they don't hurt themselves. But I don't think there's many singers who are trying to, you know, break through yeah. that have the luxury of turning work down. I I fully agree with that. I mean, you, we could ask like a, a real pro, like Anna Joyce Donato, or mm-hmm. like, I mean, Thomas Kvostov, for example, uh, who has some birth defect. I forget what it's called, but. Uh, Maybe he's a thalidomide baby. I don't. I'm getting this wrong, but you know, people always said, "Well, he should sing Rigoletto because uh-huh. he's like, he's missing his legs below yeah. the knee or something." Mm. You know, and he looks like he might play a great Rigoletto, but he's not the right fock to sing Rigoletto. So no, yeah. you know, or George Shirley, who was a lyric tenor, uh, who now teaches like I think in Michigan, right? Um, but he's black, right? But he was a lyric tenor, and he would never sing Otello because it's just not his fock. You know, so hmm. he just would. No, you know, yeah. but but I'm sure people wanted him to because he's like one of the few, you know, black tenors, you know. You know, another thing that I I have been in a show and I thought it was handled very well by the director, but uh, Grapes of Wrath and Noah, the youngest brother, um, is handicapped. And it never really specifies mm-hmm. what kind of handicap he has or, differently abled or, or, or what disability, yeah. differently, differently abled, is that what you said? Uh, no, I forget the lingo. I should know uh, this yeah. by now. So. But, you know, that's something that I've thought about. I, uh, for the last couple of years, have coached uh, Special Olympics basketball. And I think, like, could I ever be in a situation where I could portray that and feel comfortable mm. about, you know, physically changing the my appearance to mirror that of someone who cannot help it. And that's where I kind of would feel, I guess I would have pause. I think from the director's... Wait, this is a great question, by the way. So thank you for writing in, because this is a great conversation to have like, uh, amongst other artists. I actually talked to a friend of mine earlier today about this, um, and we ended up having a great conversation. And what was that about? Your conversation? Well, it was similar to what we're talking about okay, now. I'm not going to per- quote it, because no, I told her I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's a great question. I think from the director's point of view, you have to accept that good artists are not necessarily good people, right? So you look at Mozart, you look at the play Amadeus, which or the film Amadeus, which depicts him as this kind of babyish pain in the butt, basically. And I think we know there is some historical evidence to that, but he's also a genius composer. You can put Wagner in a different camp, like who clearly was anti-Semitic, but also wrote some truly great works of music. Karl Orff, as well, was like, went down the road of Nazism, but wrote some amazing choral pieces and some amazing operas. And I think my job as a director is to try and find a personal connection to the material, a way in, and a way to deal with these difficulties and these problems, and not to ignore them, but to try and and wrestle with them. And, And that is the job of our audience as well is like you've got you've got to confront these things and by choosing not to produce them i think that's a cowardly decision i think it that does really fall more into the hands of the artistic director and the and the you know the music director if they're going to choose the piece and there have been plenty of like protests like the death of klinghoffer for example which was supposed to be a met broadcast and they ended up you know uh taking that slot away from it so they wouldn't get more bad press 
But there were there were protests outside the show because it's yeah. about terrorism. But nobody, I mean, some of the people who were protesting it didn't even see the show. I had no idea what it was about, mm-hmm. but they just knew that it had to do with terrorism and trying to maybe even you know humanize the the terrorists. Uh, I have never seen it. So was that I, what the protest was about? I don't know. I didn't see Cause it. Because <laughs> they were it was a Jewish family as well, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a whole yeah. lot going on there. Yeah. They still did the production. It's very it's a very complex problem there yeah. this it's just a complex problem in general but i don't think there are that many shows that really fall under that there I mean, are like, not. i don't know why you brought up Mozart. i thought you were gonna bring up like the magic flute because of manasato's being a more oh uh, yeah as far as like mo- i'm talking who about has, who has a in- problem with mozart yeah no as the individual the the yeah it's more the <laughs> wagner's and the Ors. i do because of the tessitura <laughs> <laughs> hey coming up next it's the two-minute drill everything you need to know from opera land in the past week and our hot takes on them Keep it right here, right now. Opera box score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. of learning depends on vision, but 86% of children entering school have not had a thorough eye examination. It's hard enough for children to do well in school, but those with undiagnosed and untreated vision problems face an even greater challenge. Parents, regular eye care is of critical importance to your children. Please get their eyes checked. This message brought to you by the American Optometric Association and WNUR. Hi, it's Flint Lockwood here in Swallow Falls. My friends and I have just discovered some amazing living food but we've also discovered an urgent matter that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggle with hunger. Our latest driving has a rhythm all its own. By teaming up with Don't wreck it with a text. To get food to kids Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. My name is Dale Pazinski, and this is how I live United. I volunteer with United Way, helping the homeless in my community by teaching computer skills and helping them build a basic resume to save on their very own USB drive. It's huge when somebody says, hey man, that job that you helped me apply for, I got it. My name is Dale Pazinski. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George Tobias and Oliver. That's right. We're back on WNUR 89.3 FM Opera Box Score. Got a potpourri show. Potpourri. I hope the name of this episode is not potpourri when you put it up online. (laughs) All right. You think of something more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I will. Uh, Well, I certainly hope hope you will. George, I will. Let's see here. What are we going to do next? We're going to do two-minute drill, right? Two-minute drill. All right. It's just going to be me. Ha, 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 ha. This just in. The two-minute drill. 
Everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land in two minutes tops. At last weekend's opening night concert at Fort Worth Opera, former general director Darren K. Woods mingled with patrons and artists as usual. But in an awkward moment, one of the artists dedicated a performance to an unnamed patron from the stage. The singers have been told by FFFWO leadership not to mention Woods's name on stage during the festival. Renee Fleming is returning to Broadway. She will take on the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Carousel in 2018. Jay Hunter Morris will not perform Der Fliegender Hollander by Wagner this season. A.J. Gluckert will replace him and make his Metropolitan Opera debut. He's an alumnus of the Merrill Opera Program and in the ensemble at Oper Frankfurt. Nadine Sierra has won the 2017 Richard Tucker Award, which carries a $50,000 cash prize. She always won the uh, Met Opera National Council auditions in the Maryland Horn Competition. Over the border, three people, including a stage director, have left Calgary Opera's production of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical South Pacific over the potential casting of a white actor as a character from Southeast Asia. Overseas, the Berlin Staatsoper Opera House will reopen on October 3rd after years of delay-plagued renovations, but then will close again for two months, following what city officials are calling a prelude. Composer Mark Anthony Turnage ran the London Marathon yesterday. He's 56 and renowned for the opera's Greek and Anna Nicole. Over to the disabled list. Tenor Rolando Viazon has told the Royal Opera House that he won't sing Nemorino in Donizetti's L'Elysée d'Amore next month. Russian baritone Dmitry Vorostovsky has pulled out of his upcoming Dublin concert date, but he is going ahead with his April 25th Toronto concert. That would be tomorrow night. And it's exit stage right for mezzo-soprano Christine Jepsen, who passed away at the age of 54. Jepsen had an international career with roles such as Kitty Oppenheimer in the first San Francisco run of John Adams' Dr. Atomic and replacing Susan Graham in Jake Heggie's Dead Man Walking. Finally, on this day, or rather tomorrow, it was the premiere of Puccini's Turandot in Milan in 1926. Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George Tobias and Oliver. Oh my goodness, that's a lot. Oh. Yeah. That's a whole lot. And you got it in two minutes. Just barely. Yeah. And we still have to uh, wrap up this segment listening to some Nadine Sierra. Do you have my clip? Uh, uh, let me take a look for this clip. What? Uh, so let's start with Nadine Sierra. Yeah. Uh, Nadine Sierra um, did this. Nadine, if you are listening. Absolutely. <clears throat> I agree with you. Yes. I am single. Mm-hmm. He's tall. Uh, I, I He's am handsome. Tall. Thank you. Every now and then, his back has no hair on it. Like everyone's, oh, it's going to be shaved coming up because we got a show. Yeah, yeah. So who's going to shave I, it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Can, yet. can we get the conversation oh, yeah, yeah. off Toby <laughs> and onto Nadine Sierra, <laughs> who is a total knockout, by the way? Oh, she's beautiful and she sings incredibly. Yeah, uh, we're uh, we're going to hear some of Nadine Sierra at the end of the segment, but she did the uh, Steens Institute uh, at Brian- Ravinia. Yeah, a couple years ago, and that was my introduction to her. And right after she did that, she started winning all these competitions and stuff like that. And then she did the La Scala debut and all this great stuff. And uh, man, what what a voice! Well, really, really killer. You want to take a little listen? No, let's let's do that as like the the yeah as we exit this segment. I think you got it. The Fantastic. Calgary Opera, yeah. South Pacific, talking about stuff uh, to our previous segment mm-hmm. and being. Uh, uncomfortable with certain things and so this was the role of bloody mary and yes it is south pacific but this is something that happens in opera a lot and since we were talking about it and bloody mary she's the one who sings what is that bali high is that her right yeah. anyway so 
what was interesting about this article, um, and I don't know if we'll post it on the site. We can, maybe we can do that later. But, George, you probably hate when I say that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, man. It makes my job easy. I know what to put up there. Yeah, put that up there. It's an interesting article because you, you, hit, you get the director point of view, and he says he ended up, the director of this show it's, uh, of South Pacific ended up leaving the production because um, he says that the whole point of the show is to have a discussion about race and that, he, that it's missing the point mm-hmm. if you're not going to cast the characters who are Asian as Asians. And so, I don't know, it's interesting. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But the general director of uh, Calgary Opera says, you know, we're a Canada-first company and we, p- we have to pull from the pool of singers uh, who we have for auditions. And they didn't have someone to fit that role. Yeah, I, I don't agree with this. Bob McPhee is the outgoing general director at Calgary Opera. He's, he's a nice guy, but uh, I disagree with his take on this. What yeah. he says... He said, he, said, he said it's hard to find a mezzo, an, an Asian mezzo, essentially is what he said. He says, quote, this is from the article, I have resumes on my desk. There's artists of Asian descent that we're looking at right now. But if I can't fill it with the person to give the best possible performance, I believe mm-hmm. we're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, pal, look, you're not looking hard enough, and uh, you're yeah. doing the piece a disservice, and you're doing the singers a disservice. Yeah. So, you know, there's no, any director worth his or her salt can work with a performer and get them where they need to be dramatically. Any vocal coach, conductor can work with the singer at this level and get them where they need to be to give a totally, I'm not even going to say acceptable, I'm going to say a great performance. So I just, I, I disagree. I just think I it's a poor too. choice, you know. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Renee H- Fleming Renee just can't Fleming. stay away. Yeah, cannot stay away. She needs to be in the news. Going back to Broadway, the show's opening in 2018. It's being directed by Jack O'Brien, who's a great director. He's done opera and he's done a lot of musical theater. Uh, I don't know about the. Do we really need another Broadway revival of Carousel? No, but that's the June is busting out all over role, and um, it's a real nice clam bake is one of the numbers. And also, (laughs) um, you'll never walk alone. So yeah, and the Dream Ballet. It's a great show. No, but I'm saying like that role that she's oh, going to be singing. Part. Oh, okay. you're saying what uh, yeah. she's doing, yeah. Is going to have like well, some, and the some role of was originally songs. for an opera singer. Yeah, in 1941 over five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Toby, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. It's not like she step. It's, she's not going to do Pippin. She's yeah. doing Carousel. Yeah, or and Jesus so, Christ like, Superstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are right up my alley. I'm directing Pippin this summer. Oh, I cannot wait. Well, huh. could you do it with Renee Flem? I'm sure you could make that work, right? Any director worth his or her salt can make an acceptable, not acceptable, a great performance. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, sir. Touche. Uh, hey, something as a tenor, the Rolando Villazon thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad. He is an amazing Namorino, and I think it's I, probably he's probably too old to sing it. Now, well, I mean, that's what makes he, me, he shouldn't be too old because Pavarotti sang it forever, but. I think that his voice is going in a different direction, and you know he's always been compared to like Domingo, like for having those dark overtones. Yeah. So you know he's maybe so it's not the perfect great fit, as, as but Namorino. his Namorino, like back in the day, one of the best. Yeah, mm. like I agree. With hilarious. You. He looks like a clown. You and know? if if anybody wants to see that, it's all over YouTube. There are productions of him doing it, and his timing is awesome. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. Yeah, he's really, really on stage. He's fantastic. But I, uh, speaking of tenors. Jay Hunter Morris, a uh, former opera box score guest. That's correct. Uh, backed out of Der Fliegende Hollander with uh, Amber Wagner. Do we know why? Nope. Okay. Uh, but will be replaced by A.J. Gluckert. Um, really we talked about that with him, didn't we? 
Yeah, am I making that up? What, Jay Hunter Morris? Did we talk? Am I making that up? That we talked about? Uh, George, the one that, that talked well, to Well, I him, talked so. to him, and, and I'm trying I to say remember we, back we, now, yeah. but... Uh, anyway, sorry, go on. He... We, we talked about the, he'd done the show many times before, and that role mm. is near and dear to his heart. So there's got to be something major happening in his life. He's a family man, of course, or in his body, in his voice that is preventing no. him from doing this. Obviously, we wish him well, but what an amazing opportunity for AJ Gluckert, because uh, he's going to get not only to sing in this show, but he's going to get the Met broadcast next week. No. Uh, and that's, that's a, how it happens for people, man. That's a that's a big. Deal. I wonder if it's like one of those uh, Peter Gelb deals where he's trying oh, to make a start dude, of somebody and like you it. and your conspiracy theories. You're always about this. Like, I have some PR evidence machine. of some of these things. Anyway, AJ Gluckert, I'm so happy that it's him. Uh, for those people who used to listen to Opera Now, back in the day, mm. back in the day, we had a couple times uh, a panelist named Laura Quest, who is now Mrs. AJ Gluckert. So I oh, feel right. I feel tied to Mr. Gluckert. Through Are you gonna go, see, you go see the broadcast. Go see it. No, it's going to be on the radio. Oh, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go listen to it. I'm going to listen to it. I we met can sit in our car and just mm, eat popcorn. AJ Gluckert mm, when I, I was doing the Marilla program. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. exactly. I was there in 2013, but he was still around. I think maybe he had gone on to do the Adler mm-hmm. program. Uh, and he was also doing the show the gospel of mary magdalene by mark adamo Mm -hmm. that same summer and the 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 music was was so so but he was just a really nice guy and i just had some conversation with him about the business and about offer opera he was really approachable and now i find out he's in the ensemble at oprah frankfurt that house does such incredible work i am i'm not surprised that an artist of his caliber is there but, I mean, what a big deal to be part of that ensemble. Well, he's going to be singing uh, Eric in the Fliegende Hollander <laughs> at the Met. I mean, on the radio. There's hardly a bigger deal than that, you know? That's, <laughs> Unless he was actually singing The Flying Dutchman. But, you know, We're doing a two-minute drill here on Opera Box Score. So, Darren Woods uh, oh, showing yeah. sets. So awkward showing up to the gala. And I oh, think they but just. I love that he did it. I think they also <laughs> just premiered the work that he commissioned or something like yeah. that, like in their, in their festival season. Uh, the, Voidia, yeah. yeah. I think it's called, right? Anyway, so he's in the audience for this gala performance. And, you know, the artists are trying to shout out to him, but they're not allowed to. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I mean, he, he was the reason that all those artists were there, and he's the reason that the music was being premiered. And, I mean, unceremoniously, we have not fired. So here, here's the thing. We have not heard the full story. And Let's call him. Let's get him no, on the show. I mean, I, I think he's going to be really <laughs> dignified about it. But Of course. I, but I'm, I'm surprised that nobody has spoken against him. Like, there's been now would have been the correct opportunity right. for somebody to step up and say, you know, he did this, or the company was going to the pot because of this nobody has said anything. and perhaps you know? there's not as much drama as we think because he was there yeah maybe in the real world people get along i don't know yeah it's i would like to think it's that. a gutsy move i like the move i think it's a smart move i'm just as oliver says i'm surprised that there was not more pushback i suppose unless that speaks to the idea that it was really the board that wanted no, to get it happened rid of him? No, it happened so fast. Something something went down over there, and we want to know. We want to know, people. You tell us. <laughs> you yeah. tell us. Yeah. Um, also on this day, tomorrow, 1926. Anybody? Turn dot. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Sorry, say the opera title again. 
Some people say Turando. Some people say Turandot. Yeah, Oliver and I have come to blows Turando? over this before. What do you say, I, I, Oliver? I actually know the answer to this, but there's, I forgot no. it. <laughs> so you don't know the answer is the answer because to there used to be answer. this there used to be this show called uh, From the Recording Horn on WFMT. Okay, uh, it was hosted by Andy Carzis, who was a friend of mine, um, who passed away. But he has like the official answer, like what did Puccini want it to be called, Turandot or Turandot? Hmm. Right. So, but it's not Turandot. Whatever. Right, it's not right, Turandot. Right. No, I yeah. think it'd be. I think you. I think you would have to say the T. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's Italian, Turandot. you would say the T. Turandot. Yeah, because because you. I mean, it's there. Yeah. You can't not end yeah, the word. Yeah, it's not like French where you like just ignore, ignore letters left and right, you know? Somebody call us. Tell us what you think about that. Anyway. Yeah, I know the answer. I just don't know it right now, but I, I, I do. <laughs> Whatever w the truth is, I knew it. Uh, <laughs> so it premiered without Puccini ever finishing the opera. Anyway, yeah. moving on. No, I'm just kidding. I was in love with this little story that composer Mark Anthony Turnage mm-hmm. ran the London Marathon. It seems like a small mm. little piece of opera clickbait. To read it like that but first of all the guy's 56 i'm gonna tell you right now i'm not i can't run a marathon now i'm certainly not there's a whole at like 56. people there th- you got like three decades to prepare the, for the marathon there are tons of people who are in their 50s 60s 70s who so you're saying that's not impressive that's not impressive no oh, man. i mean good for oh, him bs it is too no impressive. i mean anybody who yeah, does it know. it's impressive but i'm saying it's but it's not like he's like the <laughs> oldest person to ever run the marathon you know that like, wasn't george's point george's point was like okay. whoa he went out and ran how many kilometers is 26.2 miles? <laughs> <laughs> 17,000 kilometers. He just, <laughs> excuse me, if you see his list of operas, or if you've seen them in production, Greek, Anna Nicole, I've seen both of them. These are very, very gritty pieces. Mm-hmm. He seems like a very rough and ready type of guy that would not necessarily do something as mainstream as run a marathon i Hmm. guess i think you know what i've noticed about people who are not professional athletes or marathoners who run marathons it's just it it, it's a bug that gets inside of you and it has nothing to do with mainstream it's all about your own personal challenges Mm -hmm. and for every mile that you run you're thinking of something different you're focusing on something different and it is your own spiritual journey because it's not like you wake up one day and say i'm running 26.2 today it takes months yeah. of preparation and it, at some point he had to make the decision whoa you know what i'm changing the direction of my life i'm getting my butt up off this couch i'm gonna go run and i'm not saying that was his but i know that you know for a lot of people who run marathons it's not about the physical it's all about the journey of accomplishing a massive goal and pushing yourself physically to a limit that you did not i mean it sounds like opera singing a little bit it uh, sounds like sports to me it's yeah what are you I running don't... from uh, what are you what's his name again? Maybe he's not running from anything. Maybe he's <laughs> running to something. Yeah. You hear what I said? Yeah, running to something. Is that like a Celine Dion song or something like that? It could be. Yeah. It could be our song. Yeah. <laughs> Run um, to so me. <laughs> you got a final you got a final thought, Oliver? Oh <laughs> uh, no, I mean Christine Jepson or Chris Jepson. I did not yeah, know her singing, but you know, fifty six is fifty four, too young. Fifty four is yeah. is really, really yeah. too young. And I just saw a huge outpouring of um on Facebook from her colleagues, people that sang with her, and yeah, God bless her family. Mm. We're going to wrap up the segment with the Nadine Sierra clip. This Tell is, us uh, what we're listening this to. is from the Richard Tucker concert from last year, the Gala concert. Uh, this is the end of the cabaletta from Regnava nel Silencio from Lucia di Lammermoor. <laughs>
Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. And this is how I live United. I volunteer with United Way, helping the homeless in my community by teaching computer skills and helping them build a basic resume to save on their very own USB drive. It's huge when somebody says, hey man, that job that you helped me apply for, I got it. My name is Dale Pazinski. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Every 20 seconds, another kid drops out of school. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. And the difference between a dropout and a graduate could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Rainbow House is a Chicago-based organization providing domestic violence intervention and prevention services to Chicago-area residents. Its five programs include a 24-hour crisis line, residential services, children's program, community resource services, and domestic violence prevention and education program. Rainbow House has sites in the Lawndale, Little Village, and Morgan Park areas of Chicago. For more information, go to www.rainbowhouse.org. That's rainbow-house.org. This message brought to you by WNUR. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, and Oliver the Man Camacho. What, what? Dab on it. Wait, did that say, did that say all of the Yeah. It did, it did. say that. Yeah, I mean, I'm clearly, saying, I'm I'm saying dab most, on it, dude. I'm the most the man. You don't even know what the dab is? It's like oh, this. It's like the... Dab. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing the dab in yeah, the studio. Yeah, you guys, Oliver just dabbed. It's amazing. <laughs> it was pretty funny to watch. This is our, uh, this is our hometown team segment, Yay! right? We want to bust out the intro on this one? We want to listen to it? We just want to go into it. it. Yeah, no, we want to hear Norm Bedell. Come on, Norm. Cue it up. It goes like this. How about we root for the home team? Baseball season's underway. Go Cubs, go. Can you hear it? I I couldn't hear it. (laughs) I know. There's something wrong with our Was it Go Cubs Go? It was Go Cubs Go. Okay. You just knew that because I was singing along. Hey, it's Opera Box Score on WNUR. On Twitter, at Opera Box Score. Hometown Team segment is our way of condensing what's happening in Chicago opera into one little, well, in this case, 10-minute chunk. We wanted to talk a little bit about Tobias. We got him on the show. Mm. And he's working on a production right now, Lucrezia, with Chicago Fringe Opera. But what I found interesting... Toby, is that you've done this part before, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty rare for a contemporary opera. This is by William Balcom, written in 2008. And you've been able, this is your second kind of bite at the apple. So mm-hmm. what's what's been different for you when you prepared it the first time as an undergrad at um, Northwestern? I actually, no, that was my... Uh, oh, sorry, your grad. It was, it your was grad. the fall of 2012, and I got cast in that role 
um, before I ever came to campus. And so I got, it was actually kind of fun. I prepared it in my final summer uh, living in Lawrence, Kansas, which was really kind of magical because um, I didn't, <laughs> I would spend my mornings at coffee shops learning that score. So I really loved that part of it. Um, and when we did it in Chicago, um, Mr. Bolcom came, saw the production. It was the first time that the show had been staged. Um, which really? Was, yeah, that was, it, it had been premiered, I think, at Carnegie Hall, but it was as a, a reading, essentially, and it was paired with another opera, um, Musto, mm -hmm. um, John Musto's Bastianello. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you look up the album or go to buy the album, because it is fantastic music, they're paired together, but... But um, Paul Appleby is on that recording. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and he sounds real good. Yeah. He's on real good. So are you singing the Paul Appleby role in Lucrezia? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it's fun. What's different about it this time is I just feel like I have more access to sound. Um, it's then I think I was 20. I don't know how old it was. Well, I mean, it was five years ago, so I was 23. Mm. Um, and I think being 23, and it's a lyric tenor role. And oh, you're the same age as Dean Sierra. Yeah. You guys are a perfect match. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm going to tweet at her. I'm going to find her on Insta. Oh, it sounds okay, so creepy. Okay. Don't <laughs> creep. We don't want that. Um, no, but it's been fun. The second time around is nice because it, it wasn't so much. I didn't have to worry about the, the words, although I'm not perfect at that. But mm. I didn't have to worry about learning the notes or the words. It was this time around, it's been more about the character and, and singing singing into the colors of the of the pianos because it's written it's orchestrated for two pianos um very cleverly i might add and um yeah it's just been kind of fun to what a luxury it. to be able to sing a role again like and like you said to not have to learn it mm -hmm. but to really be able to focus on the interpretation yeah. and you know being present you know and so this i've talked about that um with a few people because i just did deflator mouse and oh. i had done deflator mouse when i was 21 mm -hmm. i sang alfred and then i just did it last december with light opera works now music theater works here in chicago and it just makes it such that's why I've, it makes it so much more fun mm -hmm. honestly because you already you've put in all the grind work mm -hmm. and then at that point you're just polishing and you're making it you get to make more fun with the sound make more fun with the character it's a whole different show i think and so, so a lot of people have heard of The Rape of Lucretia yeah, um, and have not heard of this show. They've heard of Lucrezia Borgia, which is another Lucrezia show. This is unrelated <laughs> to either of them. Yeah, Lucrezia just happens to be the name of uh, the female in the show with okay. whom I am enthralled. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about this show yeah. since you're the expert, the resident yeah. expert on this show? Since you've sung I, it twice. You know what? I, I wonder <laughs> if there's anybody else out there who's done it twice. <laughs> Um, so, uh, do you want a synopsis, a brief one? A little bit. Yeah, it's you don't have to silly. tell us the This show you know. is silly. People need to come see it. Chicago Fringe Opera, if you haven't seen any of their shows, they, they have great direction, great music. They pick awesome venues in Chicago. They don't have a home venue. Chicago is their home. And so, um, they've done stuff at, at the Burger Mansion or, uh, and... They've done some uh, site-specific work. Site-specific yeah. work. And this is going to be at the Chopin Theater, um, and it's great fun. And the night's going to be, there's going to be a cabaret concert beforehand. Um, you can have drinks. Because Lucrezia is only like 45 minutes or It's 50 like 50-some minutes. Okay. So it's short. Um, it's a comedy. It's hysterical. Um, it, 
it's William that, Bochum is the composer, and he's known also for like his cabaret appearances with his wife mm-hmm. Joan Morris. And you know, one thing he said about this show, he said it was just fun for him to write it, mm-hmm. and he said he laughed when he wrote the music, and there wasn't an honest note. And I think we're gonna have Bochum on the show next week. Is that correct? Is that can I blow that cover? No, no, you're not. You're advertising it. Yeah, too. we're gonna have yeah. Bochum on the show next week. So tune in for that, and he'll tell you more about w- this score and and what it was like for him. But so when you come see the show, it is a comedy. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, but at the end, it's one of those rare instances where everyone essentially ends up happy. Oh, and you said and there's, there's sex and there's mm. like laughter. And and it, you said that there's something about cabaret performance beforehand. Or? Yes. And we're doing uh, so beforehand, all of the singers involved with the show. Um, and there are five of us. Um, we're singing a cabaret of Bolcom songs. Oh, okay. Not just his cabaret songs, but some of his cabaret songs and then other songs from uh, earlier works that he did so it's just a night of bulkum um and i think what it really is is a night of fun musically and that's what it's it's been fun to be in the production and go through the process because everybody's just having a good time yeah and the chopin theater is in wicker park slash ukrainian village almost yeah uh it's a black as i assume in the black box or yeah well we're downstairs okay um so there's the lounge there i i can't remember the name of the bar I want to say it's called the Pregnant Buffalo, but I just okay. don't know if that's true. Okay. It is called the Pregnant Buffalo. <laughs> okay. The Pregnant. The pregnant. <laughs> I keep pregnant. Ah, the little pregnant. And you guys have Kathy O'Shaughnessy conducting, and she's... Yeah, she's, so she's playing the piano along with Cody Michael Bradley. So there's the two pianos going on. There's is no this con- written for two pianos? Yes. Okay. So there's no conductor. Okay. Um, and then Lucrezia is Ashley Armstrong. Chucho is Math and Black. Ignacio is Gabe DiGiorno. Math and Black of, yeah. of, of Doing the Work podcast. And of sometimes Doing the Work and with Math and Black. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes of opera box score. Yep, so. true. And then Annunciata, the mother of Lucrezia, is Diana Stoic Richardson, and she's everybody's fantastic. Yes, so she's I'm amazing. enjoying it. It's nice to come back uh, to Chicago and then immediately jump into work with my friends and doing a show that is fun. So that, I, that opens in like less than two weeks. May sixth. So are we doing anything for op- Opera Box Score listeners? Do we need to, like, push out a, a promotional code? All in good time, Oliver. All okay. in good time. <laughs> we can make them wait for it. But if they want to buy their tickets now. The well, the Balkum interview, which I did with him over the Easter weekend, which we'll broadcast next week, it was a ton of fun. There's a long story got him behind it, and I'll tell the listeners that next week. But it was great to be in the same room as a composer who is one of the great American, American composers that's, that's still alive today. I mean, just he has done so much repertoire. Actually, Oliver, have you performed any of his rep? I think I might have sung, like, the Toothbrush song. <laughs> like this one. He has, like, yeah. these cabaret yeah. leader that people sing. Right, around, so right. I might, or I, done, I might have done Waitin'. Is Waitin' one of those songs? I don't, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, he but wrote some cabaret songs that his, get his circulated. His opera, uh, A View from the Bridge, was commissioned by the Lyric, was it not? Yeah, and they also, they also did McTeague here, and I think The Wedding might be his. Mm-hmm. All three of those, yeah. which he collaborated with uh, Arnold Weinstein, the librettist on, were all commissioned by Lyric Opera Chicago. That was back in the days when Lyric commissioned world premieres. Yeah, Artist Kranich. Getting yeah. back into that with, with the Lyric, with Bel Canto. Mm. A little bit, yeah. That one took a long time to wind it up. Did. And, yeah. But uh, it did great sure. for them. I mean, you they know, sold out. So The other thing about Lucrezia, though, uh, the librettist is Mark Campbell. Okay. And you want to talk about a name of someone right now who's just, he's got his name on some of the best work. He did the libretto for Silent Night. Okay. Um, and this libretto, which is vastly different than Silent Night. No kidding. But 
I don't know. It's a lot of fun. It's good fun. Mark Campbell also did the libretto for the latest full Bulkham opera, Dinner at Eight, which was done at Minnesota Opera back in March. I make it sound like it was a long time ago. That really back wasn't in that March. Long ago. That was like yeah. three weeks ago, man. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> back in yesterday. <laughs> back in yesterland. Uh, Oliver, do you want to come see the show? I'm going to be shirtless. Oh, that was the other thing I forgot to say. I'm going to be shirtless. <laughs> I'm going to make it there, I think, on the 11th. I'm missing the first two performances, unfortunately. That's okay. But I would see it every time just to see you shirtless. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tobias Wright, appreciate you uh, telling you f- us about your journey here you in, know, in your hometown as a tenor, of Chicago. I'm yeah. just always happy to talk about myself. Yeah, and Nadine Sierra, just so you know, he's going to be shirtless. Shirtless. So, and yeah. I'm not eating carbs, babe. Like, <laughs> uh, just come through for me. <laughs> Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Hey. <laughs> well, dab on it. Dab on it. Oh, we can't start saying that. We, no. Let's please don't, yeah. I was taught that We're by cool. one of We're my son's cool friends mm. who's in third grade. She was like, dab on it, dab on it. I was like, I think I know what you're saying, but I'm not sure. Uh, I guess that would be my good call this week that I learned the dab. <laughs> Now, now I'm the cool dad. <laughs> now yeah, you're the cool right. dad who can dad. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a good call or a bad call, Tobias? Um, I don't know. I'm in a pretty good place, so everything's <laughs> a good call, man. <laughs> oh, That's so nice. You're always so appreciative and grateful. You know, I, God, yeah. you gotta you gotta search for the positive. Yeah, <laughs> it's Accentuate easy to get positive. bogged down. You know. I guess yeah. you know what my good call is is that. I don't know. I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Whatever. Oliver mm. so Camacho. Um, I've got two. Um, first, this weekend, uh, one of the fledgling opera companies uh, is coming back. It's called New Moon Opera, and they're performing at ooh, I forget what theater it's called. Uh, Next Door Theater, I think maybe it's called Next Door Theater uh, on Lawrence in Albany Park or in yeah, at Albany Park. New Moon or Lincoln Lincoln Square maybe is where it is. Uh, so the opera company is called New Moon Opera Company. And they're doing a double bill of uh, Old Maid and the Thief and Trouble in Tahiti. Manati and Bernstein. Yeah. And my other good call uh, is something that's coming up next week, uh, which is Jessica Lang Dance. So I'm recommending a dance show, everybody. Jessica Lang Dance. uh, Their show is called The Wanderer. And it's a choreographed version of Die Schöne (gasps) Müllerin. And it's going to be awesome. I've seen snippets of it. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So it's, who's it's, singing? Um, this baritone's name is uh, Edward Nelson. Look him up on the interwebs. He's gorgeous. And supposedly he's going to be like playing with the dancers while he sings. Yeah. And the pianist is Brad Smith. So that's The Wanderer, Jessica Lang Dance at the Harris Theater. If you guys want to see it for cheaps, use the code Schubert50. Schubert50 to get 50% off your tickets to The Wanderer. That's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, just search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, or tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Hey, look, if you like what you hear, help promote our show. Leave a review on iTunes. 
The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho, and the co-host is Tobias Wright. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera with those you love. We're back next Monday at 9 Central when we go inside the huddle with composer William Balcom. Please join us. Argo Radio is up next with DJ Joe. This is WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment. <laughs> <laughs>